Utopia Planitian, no way. There's a reason we're called Continuing Conversations. I'm Michael Desmuke. Um, I am a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures and also a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And welcome to another Continuing Conversations. Let's invite Jim Johnson and then we'll talk about our special guest for the day. Sure thing. Hey, everybody. Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modifius Entertainment. And I am super excited to have uh, Lee back on the show with us. So, Lee, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lee Woozy. I am the graphic designer for Star Trek Utopia Planitia, working for Modifius. Yes, sir. And uh, we had Leon, uh, gosh, sometime last year when we were talking about the Shackleton Expanse, which was uh, super fun and exciting. And now we're back to talk about all about Utopia Planitia. And uh, Lee, I, knew, I know you gave me a little bit of a preview. You sent me a really long text message the other day of all the cool topics that you wanted to talk about. So, uh, Michael, unless you have a, a particular place you want to start, I think we just jump right on in. I think so. I mean, I just start with a compliment to Lee because I've seen, and I haven't got mine yet, but I've seen people start getting their books delivered and they are just yeah. salivating over the design from the cover to the interior. So it's really nice that you're going to break it. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice that you're here to break it. Yeah, so it's nice that you're here to break it down for us today. And, um, you know, people as they're looking at it, I love when you're always adding those Easter eggs and design input so that we appreciate the book even more. So with that, take it away. Yep. So I'll show that off a little bit. This is all Lee's doing right here. All that great uh, stuff. And by the way, that page, by the way, was one of the pages I wrote, Lee. So that just made me salivate because I love those designs. <laughs> so we'll talk, when we get to that, we'll break that down. I love that one. When, yeah. when I saw it, I told Jim, like, yes because it, it really envisioned what that page was about. So with that, go ahead and take it away, Fred. So uh, as we can see on the page that we've got up behind me, uh, we've incorporated some elements from our TOS era designs, uh, but we've also put some new things together just for this publication. And that's you know into honor the fact that, you know, there's a, a lot of things coming from a lot of influences in the movie era from uh, the stuff in the motion picture uh, which included all sorts of you know, really kind of abstract computer art stuff uh, under backgrounds and uh, all the way to you know, the reinvention of it for the Half Bennett, uh, Wrath of Khan sets and the Star Trek V uh, where we start getting uh, what we recognize as L cars into it with sort of the green rectangles and numbers in the corner. Yeah. We wanted it to include all of that. Good. Yeah. For those of you who are just listening on the podcast, um, Lee is referencing pages 126 and 127 right now, the Utopia Planitia Guide, the Constitution Class um, Space Frame, um, where he's looking at that. So as we go through, we'll keep referencing the page number for those of you who are listening on podcasts and you can flip through with us. Yep. And just a little backstory. Uh, when uh, when we first started developing this book, um, I worked with uh, Michal Cross, one of the designers that, one of the other designers at Modifius, uh, to do the initial um the initial um, you know template design for this, yeah, like to get the initial design ideas together before we handed it off to uh, to Lee for the full blown layout. And uh, uh, Mihao and I spent a lot of time going through the internet looking for screenshots of of the monitors and and the and the uh, the art and the uh, like the labels and stuff that are in the movies because um, we wanted to try to take the original series design that we've already been using in products and kind of update it a little bit into the into the movie era. 
And uh, it was actually surprisingly hard to find good screenshots of that stuff. And of course, I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time talking to my contacts at Paramount to see like what kind of art assets did they have? Did they have a library of images or whatever? And uh, because it's been so long since these movies came out, it's been 30 plus years for most of these movies. Uh, it, that kind of predated digital archiving in some respects. So they just didn't have a lot of good art, good assets for us to look at or even to use. But uh, I got lucky. And I think I told Julie, um, I found a sticker book on uh, on eBay from the old, uh, I think it's uh, was it Lee, Lee Cole, I think, did the, did the designs for the a lot of the um, iconography in the motion picture and later. And uh, I scanned all that stuff in and sent it to Mihao and said, look, can we use any of this? And I sent the images to, uh, to Lee as well. And you'll find a lot of that stuff in the book uh, that he that Lee was able to reimagine and recreate and then drop in. In fact, you're showing a picture of it. I don't remember what page that is. Um, but a lot of the design elements that you see in the backgrounds and on crates and on doors, et cetera, in all the movie, all the original series movies, we found a way to replicate a lot of that in here. Uh, Lee, can you talk a little bit about what, like, what, what was the um, sausage making involved in like taking that iconography and adapting it into the, uh, into the book? Uh, well, to start with, I watched and I rewatched the movies as well as uh, Last Battle, Peak Performance, Yesterday yeah. the Prize, oh, yeah. Tapestry, Relics, and Flashbacks, so anything that had that kind of era of Starship in it. Uh, I took like literally thousands of screen caps. Uh, but also there's, there's some amazing web resources out there and websites put together by fans. So Star Trek Design Projects, they, did, they were really helpful to, to go through. Uh, the Trek BBS. And of course, Ex Astra Scientia has had amazing reference resources. So when I was looking at things, if I was right drawing something for myself, I could check against that and see how accurate I was being. Nice. I love uh, that. And fans, did, but, fans did it again. Yeah, it was, a, it was amazing just to go through those and just see how much love people had put into going through a horror station and figuring out what all the writing on it was. Um, so even um, in, in bits and pieces like for the Excelsior, or uh, at the start of the book, where we've got um, you know a a, a, um, a page where we're we've got lots of details about that. You know, I was able to pull some of those bridge graphics and put them there um, to space out the pages. Mm-hmm. And and you know the rare finds like uh, the peel off graphics book from 1979, uh, yeah, by Lee Cole and uh, Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise. Yep. Uh, that was really helpful because we could then take those department symbols and turn them into useful, exciting graphics for the missions at the end of the book, mm-hmm. um, which uh, we have uh, you know, started throughout. We've got all these different sort of uh, influences and bits of information. We could go into you know, explaining the ranks and, and the insignia as well, which, you know, uh, for a new fan, it's actually quite confusing because it's not like anything else in Trek canon. It's got its own little symbol system. Yeah. That we were able to to uh, make some use out of. Um, and uh, even more exciting than that was the opportunity to go into um, the stuff by uh, Franz Joseph and the uh, original Star Trek technical manuals. Um so we could then take chips from that and start becoming, uh, start bringing them to life through graphics uh, and imagery in the book. Talk to us a little bit about that, because I would say probably the technical manual is one of the most popular uh, assets that any Star Trek lover has in their library. So expand on that a little bit, how you use the technical manual. Did you use the actual tech um, diagrams that were in there and then just enhance it? You drop so, it into like Illustrator or what were you mm-hmm. doing there? So 
what I did was I looked at very closely at the scans and drawings uh, that are available online of the Franz Joseph Technical Manual and had a look at what details could be sort of made more of. Um, and obviously there's a similarity between the Constitution class uh, of the era and those ships that were in that book and then made their way into canon via the background screens of the motion picture bridge crew and uh, space dock graphics. So I had a look through that. And so elsewhere in the other technical manuals, including the 1979 blueprints um, that came out with the motion picture uh, by L. Allen Everett Jr., uh, some things were labeled as you know an intercooler or uh, a vent or an exhaust. And so I could well I can copy that across and start filling in those details. And then I looked uh, also at the later MSD graphic for the Enterprise B by Doug Drexel, which is still on, I think, his art station account. And so putting some shapes in there that would sort of explain, well, how does uh, how does a single nacelle ship work? Well, uh, it's got two rows of uh, you know, subspace emitters and one's on the top and one's on the bottom. And I imagine that's how it's going to create a warp field. And just trying to fill in those details so that you know, if you want to, you can find that graphic and say, we're going to have a ship-bound adventure on the Hermes class uh, for this session. And you know, here's your turbo lift network and here's where the bridge is and here's where the computer core is. You've got to get around there. Uh, and just those little bits of detail to try and spark the imagination of uh, of the players and the game masters are going through. And you know, we put a lot of love into bringing the ship to life, and it's really important because it was really one of those first sort of fan publications that became canon. So the, the ship that we we chose is called the River Rouge, and that's got a little bit of a story throughout the graphics. So you see it in the space dock graphic, uh, and it's getting a refit there, and then you see at the end of the book. Uh, as part of some task force going off to some mission, it's also got uh, the, the motion picture style nacelles cells having been refitted in space dock. Mm -hmm. This is great. I mean, so you're saying, so how many times is it weave through the book then in graphics? Now I'm going to go on. That's a huge Easter egg if I want to wrap that into a story. <laughs> yeah. Is it three three times? It's, so it's, in, there three times. it's in there three times, I think. Um, uh, and obviously it's in there also as uh, you get a picture of it uh, and you get a picture of it at the front of the book as well. All right, let's get a little Game Master's guidance on this, Jim. I think this is great because I know one thing that I like to do is send like a graphic like this to my players and say the intercool assembly is blown up. And for some reason, when you do that and they can see it on the ship, they just get way more into the game. Um, and so... You know, some people may have Utopia Planitia just for shipbuilding, um, but as game masters, it's more than that. Each, uh, if you had seen our interview with Lee before um, for the Shackleton Expanse book, um, I know for us, we I blew that way open, even from the maps and really getting detailed in them. That er a lot of this is there for a purpose; it's for us to use as tools, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, it, I, it was not a. I mean, and this is what I, why I love working with you, Lee, is because you add so much detail to the book that that I couldn't even think of, <laughs> you know, to say, oh yeah, you have, you, you know, add in some ships, add in some more bridge displays, do this other stuff. And uh, you just, you, because you I clearly love Star Trek, but you, you are able to add just that whole other level of detail to it that um, other designers might not be able to, because they may not have that level of familiarity with the, um, with the franchise or the, the access to resources that you were talking about, like in terms of the, the websites and stuff. Like I, I know me, how and I, 
trawled some of those websites, but we probably didn't go into them to the level of detail that you clearly did to find all this extra content. Um, but yeah, for game masters, like once you get the book, whether you buy it on, on in print or PDF, you're going to get the PDF for free anyway, right? No matter where you buy the print product, get the PDF from, um, from Modifius and then open it up in your favorite PDF reader, take screenshots of all these great graphics and images and, and drop them into your virtual tabletop or, you know, print them off for your game or whatever. Cause these are all great resources to use in a game. Like Michael was saying, like, I know my players, uh, even though we tend to play theater of the mind it still helps them to visualize, where am I on the ship? Oh, I'm on this starboard nacelle doing an EVA, right? So I'm floating around outside the ship right here on this, on this nacelle. And th that just helps add to the immersion and to the, to the ability to role play the characters. Like, it's not, you're not just sitting at a table kind of pretending, right? You can actually get into the moment and like, okay, now you, I can visualize, you know, my character being there. And, I mean, it, it even helps, you know, especially with um, uh, Eagle Moss, right? Now that you can get so many diecast models of so many of these space frames, right? It helps to have that on the table so that you can actually kind of visualize where things are on the ship, right? So I just, I mean, this is the kind of detail, I ate this up when I was when I was younger, like in the 80s and the 90s, when I had the technical manuals, the Franz Joseph technical manual, um, all the FASA uh, books, even, and then when the Sternbach Okuda uh, Next Gen technical manual came out, I mean, that was like, that was like heaven because that, that became my go-to reference for all my RPGs for, easily 15 years because there just wasn't a better reference to come out until later right uh, so these kind of technical manuals are just fantastic and that's why i really hope more people get their eyes on this product because there's so much stuff in here even if you don't play star trek adventures right maybe you play some other version of star trek rpging or you make your own homebrew or something there's still just a ton of content in here that you can uh, that you can make use of yeah lee we've said it before on other shows too we are we are i'm totally convinced that that uh, the writers of the Star Trek shows have all of these Star Trek Adventures <laughs> books on their shelf as reference because they are right now the preeminent uh, definitive source of Star Trek tech and, and lore. So keep keep going with us. This is awesome. And, and, and let me say, just in, in case, in the highly, highly unlikely event that anybody from the Star Trek, Star Trek production team is watching this, drop us a note and call us. Let us know what you need because we can send you a care package of stuff uh, whether it's PDFs or print or whatever, like we are, you're, you're part of the family. So we are more than happy to, to support you. So if you need any of this reference material, please, please let us know. Happy to do that. Anyway, back to the, back to the show. So a lot of um, production art does make its way uh, through uh, um, yeah, Facebook groups and concept art websites when people are sharing their portfolio. And we were able to make use of some of that. Um, with the Romulan livery, uh, because you know there's been different versions of the the bird of prey, the warbird, uh, from TOS onwards. And we've seen it in Picard, and we've seen it elsewhere. So what I wanted to do with this graphic was just to sort of suggest that if you want to, you could have it looking like it did in Balance of Terror, or you could have it looking like it did in Star Trek Picard, because you can just have, say, well, it's all an eagle, it's all eagle livery, so. Um, it could have whatever version you want on it. I kind of like the idea of, you know, trying to take all the different kinds of canon and all the different ways into fandom and just sort of combining them so that they look, uh, that they're part of, of the same thing and they're all equally valid uh, for when players want to want to make use of them. Wow, I just had a total flashback. Um, my brother 
when I was probably mm-hmm. seven years old, built this raw. I remember we had a store called Thrifties in town. It's basically our pharmacy. And he had bought this model at Thrifties and built it. I remember it had orange decals. Wow. And, and, and we put it together. And I remember him dipping the decals in water for us to finish it off. Wow. That just put me total flashback. Yeah, so I mean, the idea is that you know maybe there's different warbirds. Maybe one of them's got you know a green eagle on it. One of them's got the classic orange, you know, very aggressive, fiery design on it. Um, so I mean, and similarly, when it came to the bridges, there was a lot of uh, checking against different sources online and offline, and looking through the you know, official Star Trek fact files from the '90s to get the um, the layouts correct. Uh, and something I found out uh, was that you know. The original studio set from the original set plans for the Oberth class, it was actually just filmed in a corner of the Constitution class bridge. But because of the way it's filmed, we all imagine it's this small oval room that all the command crew are in. And that's what's become canon uh, throughout the years. So that's what we went with with that design. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it came to do the, uh, the lunar class bridge, uh, very little of that has been seen. Um, so what I did was I took some inspiration from the original Sean Tarango concept drawings, but also the Sovereign Class Bridge, because had it ever made it onto screen, it would almost certainly have been a redress of the concept of the uh, of the uh, Sovereign Class. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm countlessly rewatching those few scenes from Star Trek Lower Decks to see what matched up, what can be confirmed on screen. And from that, we drew um, the diagram for you know where everybody sits on the lunar class, and you know where the turbo lift are, is, and you know by inference where the where the uh, captain's ready room is. Yeah, I had a long time sort of listening and going through lots of scenes to figure out you know which one is the con and the helm and the navigation stations, uh, just to make sure that you know those diagrams were as faithful as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was this was one of the pages that I was. I was so excited when I finally saw that when I saw this layout because like I knew what we wanted for this. We wanted a, a full page spread with the uh, with the with the bridge renders, the handful of bridge renders that we commissioned, and then as many bridge layouts as you could fit in here. I didn't realize you were going to be able to fit you know nine or ten on here. <laughs> I thought we would get like you know five or maybe six because I didn't understand you know like visually how many how we'd be able to scale them to make them work. And when you sent me that draft that had all these in here, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I think I may have even got, gotten out of my chair and done a happy dance because of this. <laughs> but, but what you even did then is you took it to another level because you found a way to add even more bridge um, schematics later in the book. Like you just found other places to fit them in. So I was thinking, oh, we're going to have like seven or eight in here. But we actually ended up with like, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something scattered throughout the book, which is like, oh, that's just such a win because uh, they, they look great. I mean, I, I just I love what you did with this, Lee. And uh, I was glad that we had the renders for a couple of them. Um, but hopefully this give, and like, I don't know how well, again, I haven't actually tried it myself, but like if I were to take a screen cap of one of these bridges and then blow it up and then move it into a virtual tabletop, I wonder if I would lose any of the resolution. I'd probably have to get creative with, uh, how to go, Michael, you're shaking your head. Do they scan in pretty well? You can, you can zoom vector. in. They're all, they're all quite neat vector graphics. So you yeah. can zoom in quite, quite close on those and take a okay. screen cap if you wanted to, uh, awesome. have a little screen, little diagram of where yeah. it was sitting on your adventure. Yeah, can I? I'm going to share screen for a second, just for the okay. people who are watching um, at home, because last time and the last time we interviewed Lee, we had an actual special session for for graphic designers, and we talked about 
the way Lee designs this. And so the vector graphics is make it so that as you zoom in, you don't lose, let me go ahead and zoom in here. Um, you lose it, none of the, um, it doesn't pixelate on you. Oh yeah. Because of the way it's designed. So it's really clean. So oh, the, again, uh, for, for those of you who are playing virtual tabletop, you yeah. can get super detailed because of these vector graphic designs. So I really loved that Lee put that forethought into the design and the whole design group did that because I use, again, I use these all the time. So you really get close in and get really detailed and it doesn't affect or pixelate even the words, which is really cool. Um, so just a little, little uh, uh, tip for all of you out there who want to use this for your virtual tabletops. Uh -huh. The cleanness of it is partly inspired by all the amazing work by done, done by Doug Drexler and Mike Akuda and Denise Akuda and all the other graphic designers who've worked on Star Trek because they you know, defined a really beautiful looking vision of the future, which is partly what's inspired us and what we've tried to homage uh, with the graphics, even uh, the stuff for um, uh, you know, going back to Wrath of Khan and you know, the the graphics that you saw there, I think there was a joke about it recently in um, Lower Decks where um, they're, they're talking about the animations. But, you know, at the time they were groundbreaking, I remember being absolutely blown away by the Genesis device uh, presentation mm -hmm. and the wireframes for, um, for the Kobayashi Maru mission. And we tried to homage that as well when it came to... Uh, the planet scans. Um, we took the images from uh, Wrath of Khan and also from uh, Search for Spock, and we tried to emulate those stars using our contemporary graphics technology and really pay tribute just to how how amazingly they looked on screen at the time. Yeah, I wanted to share this real quick. Uh, so in uh, in part of my uh, my my cleaning and going through all my old Star Trek books and stuff, I don't remember where these came from. I think this was a blueprint set from way back in the day, but I just want to show like comparing that, that screenshot that Michael just shared with the, the really high res, beautiful resolution of the ship and the, and how far you can zoom in. Like this is a, this is an old blueprint set. Um, I think it was the Excelsior. It might've been from Star Trek three, um, but you can see just the level of detail. This is, I mean, this has got to be 35 years old or something. And I don't even remember who, print, who published these, but like just that level of quality is right there. And that that clearly must have inspired you to uh, like I don't know if you uh, these are probably scanned in on online somewhere, but uh, I, I just I just found those the other day tucked into one of the old uh, one of the old RPG books I must have used at one point, but Last Unicorn Games uh, Next Gen, and uh, it, it just going through the book the other day and then remembering I had those, it's like oh gosh, it's like a it's almost a one to one um, comparison, and just showing like you know even though things have changed from the old blue literally blueprints. Uh, to what we use in the book, which is more of a green, uh, green aqua kind of color. It's just, it, it's right there. All that love that we've we've seen in Star Trek for thirty odd years related to ships. It's all, it's just all here. And it, 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 like the Star Trek geek in me just got really, really excited about it because I remember those blueprints from way, way back, way back in the day. And uh, and now we've got like the evolution of it here in this book, which is just super exciting to see. Well, yeah. Lee just dropped another. I'm sorry, I gotta say the Easter egg you dropped because the graphic you have up on screen right now, which was my favorite graphic, because it just happened to be in a chapter I wrote and I thought it yeah. matched perfectly. You just dropped an Easter egg that searched for Spock, and I'm looking at it I'm like, why did I get that the first time? So thank you for <laughs> telling us that. Yeah, and I love I love this graphic too because it's like you got the you got the like the the system on the top, and then you zoom into the planet, and you zoom further into the planet's surface. I mean, that is so that's right out of the movie, man. It's like right out of Star Trek Three. So talk about 
Cause like, and that was just, that's completely you off, off, off your, off out of your creativity. What, what led you to do that? Uh, so when we come to that, um, we, we obviously have space to fill in the book. Um, we need to balance pages of text uh, with, with graphic and imagery, images, sorry. And uh, it's a matter of picking what's really appropriate to the chapter that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So in this one, we're talking about going on missions to planets to find resources. And I thought, well, having watched these movies over and over in, in preparation for putting the book together, what would be a good way of uh, telling a visual story that complements that? Mm -hmm. So we've got the search for a material and we've got materials not only from uh, Captain Spock's coffin, but also from the chart that is right next to it in the book. Uh, similarly, uh, when we um, had the uh, text talking about headings, for example, um, you know, the graphic that we picked for that, Jim very cleverly identified that there was a graphic in the TNG technical manual that explained exactly what a heading was. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought, well, we've, we've also seen that in the simulation I mentioned before at the start of Star Trek II. So we took the colors and the graphics and the textile from that uh, and used that as a way of explaining, you know, how do you point a ship in the direction that you want it to go in the chapter about, you know, moving uh, throughout the galaxy and how long it should take you to get from one point to another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So many good tools. I mean, I, I, I love this one because I, I now, I've referenced the old one from the TNG manual too, but now I'm like, oh, it's now it's updated. I can easily cut and paste this into my virtual tabletop game. I play on Discord, and then the navigator can have a ball telling us head, course and headings. This actually comes in really handy too um, for those who are playing virtual tabletop and organizing the ships on that virtual setting. Is to have this as a reference chart as you're placing the ships, and it gives a little extra level of reality to the game when when. The players can look at it and say, "Oh, I see. I see their course heading. I see where, where they're at." So I think this is a really good graphic. <laughs> so, so the next natural evolution then would be for some programmer to take this this graphic right and to and to put it into the virtual tabletop and like and, and set it up in such a way so that you could have like a three D representation of your ship and your adversary ships, and you can have the little dials changing so that you understand the the orientation of one to the other, so you could get it even more accurate. But that might be getting down into the weeds <laughs> a little further and almost turning it into like a like a tactical simulation. But uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's who's thinking about it being creative. So uh, I would love to see what that looks like at some point in the future. Totally. Nice. All right. So what what else can we talk about? Um, do you want to lead you want to talk a little bit about the um, just the, the ridiculous amount of support we got from uh, Star Trek Online, Thomas Maroney, and uh, some of the other uh, folks that we were able to get uh, Starship art from, you know, in addition to Paramount's archives as well. Yeah, well, I'll just bring up the um, the Constitution class. I mean, the, the amount of, of beauty shots that we got from Thomas were just amazing, and we could just pick and choose the very best of them uh, to put into, into the page spreads and show off the uh, variety of ships that we've got in the book. And you go throughout the entire range of, of Star Trek canon from uh, the very beginning to, to post-Picard era. Mm -hmm. um, and we were spoiled for choice because we had so many amazing renders sent through to us mm -hmm. that we could just pick and drop in. Um, and we, we because we had that choice, we could then you know, decide that for the Constitution, we were going to show the motion picture era ship because uh, we wanted to you know, 
emphasize that we were going to set the book uh, or style the book at least in that era um and uh that every ship gets a, a really good sort of flyby image mm -hmm. um some from different angles some coming at you some from from below um because we had so much to choose from and it, i think it's just amazing the the idea that people will be able to go through from the st online games um and take their ships that they play on online and then play them uh, around the tabletop and combine the two experiences i'm really looking forward to hearing about people doing that yeah yeah i, I want to add uh, a couple notes not just about the ships but also about the the layout here uh one thing that um flipping through the book and seeing the spread of ships from the early 22nd century all the way to the 25th century what i appreciate is all the ship designers over the 50 odd years who worked in star trek i, I am so impressed and plus you know star trek online i am so impressed at how consistent they were able to make the design philosophies from from the over that whole 300 you know year spread of time so where you look at the constitution class and then you look at the the galaxy class and the lunar class and on up into like the odyssey and the pathfinder like they all look starfleet right they all have that consistent starfleet look and feel and like i'm sure there's been hundreds of designers who've been working on starships and they all follow that same basic philosophy i just i really appreciated that just you know flipping through the book and going oh wow this is like these are all clearly very very starfleet ships uh, so i love that and i appreciate that you were able to find a lot of um great angles to use and that we were able to get so much of it from the designers and from thomas and from you know all of our other resources um talking about the layout specifically though uh, there's two details that i really loved about it that i wanted you to talk a little bit about first was um i know that Mihao and i had talked about wanting to change the badge in the in the header where you, you have a class name for it to be error specific and, and you were able to do that but then you took it to the next level <laughs> and you made that same symbol be a a, a watermark behind the spread like I wasn't expecting that. And it was like, when I saw it in that draft, you sent me, I was like, oh shit, this is great. Like, like, like it just ties the whole thing together at another level that I, I was I'm not a designer. I don't have that level of detail, but like, what was your, what was your impetus or, uh, you know, what, what inspired you to, to, to take that extra level of, um, of detail? Well, we, we discussed early on that we wanted to have this motion picture, a movie era aesthetic yeah. to the book, but also, yeah. It was going to cover uh, books, you know, all the way up to like the 25th century. Uh, so cover ships all the way up to the 25th century in the book. So my my sort of head canon for it was that somebody in the far future, you know, in the Picard era, had gone onto their computer station and they decided to style it or put a skin on it, like you used to for a Windows uh, desktop, yeah. into the style of the uh -huh. 20 2290s. Yeah. And we got a little reference to that uh, at the end papers as well. Um, so they would be looking back as if this was a historical archive of all the ships that the Federation had ever had um, and learning about them uh, and learning about all the, their statistics and things. And that's why when we go through it, it's like he's looking back over the future. So it's it's updating the symbol at the back to match whatever Starfleet was using at that time and goes all the way back to pre-Federation era. So we've got some of the um, Earth Starfleet symbols in there as well. Mm -hmm. And then when it goes through Discovery and also where they had the, the circular image uh, behind, uh, the, sorry, the circle behind the Star Trek Delta, uh, we've got that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, just, I love it. I, and I, I love I love the idea of somebody in the Picard era using a skin from a from a different era. Like I, I think I had a I may have had a Elcar's skin for Win, Windows 95 back in the day when I was using it, still using the PC. Uh, so that's great. Uh, the last the last detail I was hoping you would talk about a little bit on on these pages. Are, are those are those great little ovals, the colored ovals on the edges of the pages that go up and down as you flip through the book? They change position. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, what what the hell is this? Is this a, is this some little weird blip in the system?" But uh, but then you explained it to me. I was like, "Oh my god, that's fantastic!" So can you talk a little bit about the about that design element as well and how you how you you know made it to to change out? So so me, Hala put these sort of colored dots um, that represent. Uh, they're sort of a bit like the um, displays on the bio beds or that you might see behind the weapon station on the Miranda class. And I thought, well, with this, this is not just going to be a digital product. It's also going to be uh, a real life physical book. And so what I did was I moved each of the dots slightly on every page, either up or down. So that if you were to flick through it um, on in your book, you would see them slightly move like the readouts on a bio bed like a scanner going up and down i'm doing it as and, we speak for uh, those who are watching i'm actually flipping through it quickly so that uh those watching oh, on youtube it. can do it <laughs> i love it <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they catch up with each other and sometimes oh, they great. slow down and sometimes yeah. they pause uh, but they are sort of almost always moving one way or the other mm -hmm. Very and I think cool. that's just, just really important to to uh, make use of the fact that it is a is a physical book and people are going to hold it in their hands and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. How do you? I got to ask how your brain works, Lee. <laughs> I mean, how do you come up with these? You know, sometimes people come up with one or two concepts and call it a day, but you have all these concepts that are built in here. And I know us doing this in forty five minutes to an hour is not going to cover everything, but I mean. Do you just like wake up at two in the morning and say, "Oh, I'm going to add that concept"? I mean, what do you? Uh, how, how well, do you it's, it's not it's not waking up at two in the morning, staying up until two in the morning to squeeze it in before the deadline. That's what tends to happen. Uh, but yeah, it's you, you get these sort of ideas and uh, you develop them over time. And sometimes you realize that they're not going to go anywhere, so you try something else. Um, but you always try to be flexible and have room to try things out. And that's where you find out the fun stuff. And if you keep trying and doing sketches and seeing what works and what doesn't, then you end up eventually at something that's really good. That's great. One of the things I noticed too, Jim, and maybe you can talk about it, both, both of you here. Um, I feel like since we've gotten the very first book up to this point, that we're getting, I want to say more graphics heavy, but we're still getting a lot of rich contacts. Um, is that is that because of how people read books and consume information now that that the design is changing to that way? Like, how do you keep up on that? Because I just know that these are just um, whereas before, maybe there were big text blocks in some of the older publications. Now it seems like every page has candy on it that then attracts you to get even more into the details of the paragraphs. Is that um, purposeful in your design, Lee? And, Jim, I know we've talked a little bit about from your perspective too. Um, I think RPG books are a very specific niche in, in the design disciplines where, um, unlike elsewhere, you actually do have the room to put in more and more detail. Whereas if you were working in a commercial setting, you'd be expected to be uh, adhering to more rules of minimalism um, and uh, a less is more approach. And we have the, the liberty and the privilege to, to do more is more. Um, we also have a lot more design literate people working in the industry now, 
So everybody's pushing each other to higher and higher standard for pushing out the products that we're publishing, which is a really great thing because we've got to the point where, you know, um, kids in the 80s grew up playing D&D, they went to university in the 2000s, and now they're the people who get to decide what graphic design looks like. That's fascinating. That's cool. Yeah, and from uh, my perspective, like, uh, I'll admit I'm a writer, right? So, like, like content, content is king for me. Like, I would rather have 80 pages of really useful content and, uh, and plot hooks and story ideas and stuff that I can use in a game. Like, I, I, love, I love art and imagery, but, like, I, I'll look through certain game books, like certain companies' game books, and there's a great piece of art in there, but it doesn't tell me anything about, about how to play the game, how to run the game, other than just, like, oh, that's a cool piece of as a cool piece of art, right? And um, I think in some cases, some of the Star Trek books we've done have really great art, like in like Elkar's designs and schematics and stuff, but they're just kind of there, right? And I don't, that's not an insult to anybody, right? By any stretch of the imagination, it's just like, it, it wasn't functional other than to fill a space on the page. Cause once you get into layout, then you got, you got weird page breaks and you got to figure out like, oh, this, this chapter's text ended up half a page short. So we need to figure out how to jigger the contest because our, our, uh, all of our chapters start on the right-hand page as opposed to the left-hand page. Otherwise, it gets all messy. So then you guys start getting creative. And I think as I have matured as a project manager and a line editor, starting to get a better understanding of like how the book comes together to where, to where Lee does it, um, I'm starting to get to the point now where um, you know, we can work on the layout and I see a draft. And if I know, you know if, if the designer or Lee tells me, okay, this chapter's half a page short, we need more text, or we need to put it in a functional graphic in here, I can either go to a writer or turn it out myself and, and bang out a couple paragraphs of text to fit in to start filling that space. So I've gotten smart about doing that. But, um, you know, Lee and the other designers have also gotten really good about putting cool stuff into the book that's not just there for the sake of looking at it, right? Like you were saying earlier, Michael, some of that artwork in there, you can absolutely zoom in, blow up, screenshot, drop it right into your VTT, and it's still being absolutely usable. Um, and it's not, just, it's not just nice to look at, you know, it's actually, there's a function to it. And I think um, exactly what Lee was saying, uh, RPG books are a really weird um, blend of like art book, reference, technical manual, and game, right? It's like they serve so many different functions because especially in this case, right? The, the, the Utopia Planitia book, this could almost be a, a coffee table book for a Star Trek fan who doesn't even play the game, right? You could flip through this and look at the great art and images and, and remember all that stuff that we've done back in the, the, from the movie era and say, oh, this is a really cool product with some cool ships. And like maybe your casual fan will read some of the lore in here and go, oh, hey, look, I didn't know that ship existed. That's kind of neat. And they would, they would probably just gloss over the, the statistics and the, and, the, and, the, and the game stuff, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, have to, we have to serve so many different niche communities with an RPG book that, that we got to find a way to hit all of them. And, and, and at least makes most of the people happy. You know, we'll never make everybody happy, but uh, um, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And, and Lee, I think um, as always, I don't, it's not that I don't appreciate it. I just don't always understand how much work goes into this. Cause like, I know how much I'm up in the middle of the night editing a, a document and, and making the words better and not better, but you know, more polished and streamlined. And then I know you put that same level of detail into the layouts. I'm sure you're working late into the night, doing a whole bunch of design work on the back end that like, like I don't see when I'm reviewing the drafts, I don't see it like like it doesn't immediately jump out at me and go, oh, I you know Lee clearly spent you know 20 hours working on this this little detail, but like subconsciously it's sinking in, 
right? And, and I see, oh my gosh, you put so much work into this. This is great. Like that bridge layout uh, spread that you did, it was like, oh my gosh, that looks fantastic. And uh, I, I appreciate how much work you put into it, even if I don't understand how much work you put into it. But when you sent me that list the other day of the stuff you wanted to talk about, I was like, oh man, there's so much work in here. So much, so much Star Trek love in here, but uh, I know we're getting close on time. So um, Lee, I, I just wanted to get a sense here. Um, what are the, like, what are some of the things that you're most proud of in Utopia Planitia? Like, I know we could go on and on about this all day long. I could geek out all over this all day long, but if you um, have like a, like a top list of things that you are most proud of that you got into this book, uh, what would they be? That's a, a bit of a tricky question. I mean, Honestly, the, the the thing I'm most proud of is that between us, uh, Jim, we put a tribute into Nichelle Nichols and David Warner and, and Greg Jean, because I I suggested that at the end uh, of the book to sort of include as a sort of less obvious reference in the names of the ships on the task force, and then you said no, we should do it properly. We'll just put it. We'll make sure we put a reference in the um, in in the credits page. So I was really pleased that we we got to go ahead to put a, a proper acknowledgement. Um, at the start of the book to those people who've done so much for Star Trek and so much for uh, so many different communities. Here's um, a, uh, mm -hmm. I have a question for you too. Mm -hmm. You know, you get the manuscript before there's even any art on it. And so from a, your fan, fan geek point of view, what thrilled you about this book and just um, the, the premise, like from, from the stories or the writing, like what excites you about this book? We know the art, obviously, you know, it comes out, obviously, but what about just because um, you have to read through everything to find all these details. So what, hmm. what, what were some um, of your favorite parts of the book? So I, I was really excited that the parts of Star Trek that I grew up with, which were the movie eras from Star Trek to um, until Generations, that's the stuff that I was first exposed to Star Trek through. Uh, that we could really get, got the opportunity to pay tribute to that. Um, and so it is sort of my mission to make sure that we were putting as much from that era into the book and into the graphics as we could get, because uh, I think lots of other fans would be really excited to see that that uh, aspect of Star Trek for the first time as well. I love it, because then it tantalized, like you said, newer people who are maybe just watching the new shows, it happens when they watch the new shows, they want to go back and find the old lore. So likewise with this, um, I know Jim has a, I don't want to say preference, but he definitely has a strong pull to want to play uh, a movie era game or, you know, that those lost years game. And this one definitely has a lot of candy for that. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that's one of the main eras that we just really hadn't touched on in Star Trek Adventures yet. Even after five years, we still had a lot of material yet to cover. And uh, I thought this was the perfect opportunity to kind of bridge that, original series next gen gap and try to hit on that lost era slash movie era a little bit and we'll be doing more more stuff with this uh, next year but uh wanted to wanted to get started somewhere <laughs> and this was a fantastic uh, opportunity to do that uh so um here's a question for uh, both of you and i'll answer it myself after you're done but uh of all the all the space frames that we were able to fit into this book which is your favorite Okay, I'll start. Um, definitely the one that got me is Hiawatha. I, I love Oberth, don't get me wrong, and I was so thrilled that you put the Oberth. I, I need that actually for an upcoming campaign. So I was glad there were so many details about the Oberth. But Hiawatha to me is a story waiting to be told. Um, again, I give it to, to uh, Tig Nataro for infusing life into the Jet Reno character where I want more of that. So um, I'll be definitely... Uh, 
doing something with the Hiawatha. I don't care if I have to pull it into the future so that my players get to interact with it, but um, I'm definitely going to be uh, uh, digging into that one. So that's my favorite. Nice. Nice. Lee, can you pick a can you pick a favorite of all of them? Uh, it's a tie for me between the Cheyenne class uh, because as a graphic designer, I love anything that take a magic marker and turn it into a faster than light propulsion system. Uh, but my all time favorite is probably the Akira class because um, I'm sure that's a, a popular choice. But um, I loved how they took the TNG aesthetic with the warp nacelles and they brought it into the movie era. I mean, it's really tough, tactical, uh, all-purpose role ship. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, and for me, I think um, the, the, the choice has gotten harder because uh, between all the great art that we were able to put in the book and all the great lore that we were able to write, and, and like especially, uh, um, especially Aaron uh, uh, Paulier, who draw, added so much detail to all these classes so that they could all be very viable um, you know, series ships for your campaigns. Right? You can, we can base a campaign off literally any of these space frames and it would be cool and interesting with all that lore that's in there. Uh, but I think, um, I think I still have a special spot for the defiant, for the defiant class. And I think partly because I think that was one of the, one of, if not, I don't remember if it was the first, but it was one of the first Starfleet designs that went away from the, the, the bridge nacelles kind of look external nacelles and kind of like compacted it all together. And I just thought it was just an interesting, different look and feel, um, that I really appreciated it. But I'll tell you like some of those, uh, some of those classes we were able to pull out a Wolf 359 and, and bring a full-blown graphic to, like the, between Eagle Moss and, uh, and Thomas, um, just bringing those ships to life were originally just on screen, they looked like wrecks and you know, blown up models and little pieces of debris and stuff. We were actually able to turn it into a real honest-to-goodness class and remind folks, like, these weren't, this wasn't just debris on the screen. These were actual classes that were operating in Starfleet doing missions for specific reasons. That's an opportunity for you to base a whole campaign off of one of those ships. And now you can visualize it and see it. And I just love those two. But I think Defiant's still my uh, my my special one for now. For now, like they, they, like you know, as Star Trek continues to to grow and they add more series, like the uh, the the California class is pretty hot. And uh, I'm really bummed that we don't have the lower decks license yet because we couldn't add them into the book. But uh, maybe maybe someday we'll see. We'll do a revised version. Um, but this one uh, will keep. But this book will keep us busy for a while. So yeah, just, seriously, there's, there's a, a, a hundred stories more than 100 stories yeah, yeah, to tell from Utopia So uh, as we near the end here, uh, Lee, I mean, I know there's so much that we could continue to talk about, but uh, any any last Easter eggs or uh, special things that people should keep their eye out for while they're um, Well, it, we didn't just put love into the print edition. Also, if you've got the digital edition, uh, you'll notice that most of the numbers are in the traditional Star Trek, just random numbers. But if you look at the end papers and you click around a bit, you might find some Easter eggs there. Uh, and also, there's a couple of shout outs to some of the amazing YouTube community who put Trek videos out that are used as reference as well. So maybe if you have a look at uh, some of the L cars, you might find some people shouted out. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll also add that uh, um, one of the fun things about doing this kind of design work, especially as I started interacting with Lee, when we when we when I actually have something visual to react to, right? It's not just a manuscript; it's actual the visual stuff. Uh, we there was a couple of places where you had done an initial draft of a of a design or something, and uh, like I think there was a page where you had a, a an Excelsior class schematic set up, and you'd picked uh, some random name. I don't remember which name it was, 
And uh, I had just been looking at one of the old FOSA books. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they used an Excelsior class in here. How about we just draw, how about we just change the registry number and the name of this, of this graphic that you've already done, which is a great graphic, uh, but just do that little sneaky Easter egg uh, call out to FASA and just kind of like bring all the RPG stuff together uh, and, and honor all those people who've come before us. So it, it's just fun to be able to do those weird little details. I think there was even one page and this is going off, off, off book a little bit, but there was a, you, you would put in a, a, a graphic. I'm not going to say which one because it's still an Easter egg. And I was like, you know, if we tweak this just a teeny tiny bit, it becomes a, it becomes an Easter egg to the movie, the fifth element. And, uh, and you went along with it. You didn't, you didn't push back on me, which I was grateful for because I thought that might've been a little too much, but you know what, you know, Star Trek uses, uh, well, I mean, Star Trek is such a um, major component of pop culture that um, especially lower decks adds in pop culture references all the time. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Here's an opportunity for us to reach out and, and reference a pop cultural that's not specifically Star Trek and make it work. So I'm grateful that you went along with that. So uh, uh, Michael, let's, uh, let's head into, uh, uh, into our shout outs. Uh, yeah, uh, let's do our shout outs. We do our yeah. gratitude each time. Again, Lee, thank you for this and all your hard work. It shows um, I, I've been inspired again to pick up the book again and put through each page one more time to enjoy the graphics. Um, I want to do my normal shout outs to the brick and mortar. So I got Joe Van Ginkle um, gave me a whole list of shops that he goes to in order to pick up his comics and to pick up his gaming books. Dice House Games in Fullerton, California. Brookhurst Hoppies in Garden, Garden Grove, the Realm Games and Comics in Bray, California. So thank you, Joe, for that. We always appreciate the brick and mortars out there. Lee, do you want to send a shout out and then we'll hand it back to Jim? Uh, I just want to send a shout out in general to the Star Trek community and to all the YouTubers out there like Trek Yards, who've done such amazing work in putting information out there, which I absolutely uh, wouldn't have been able to get through as quickly as uh, with this project without. Mm -hmm. All right, you take us out. Sure thing. I, I want to. I want to shout out uh, Lee and all the designers of Star Trek ships and graphics and designs. So Michael Puder, Rick Sternbach. I mean, everybody. Greg Jean, uh, all the way back to uh, Jeffries back in the original series. Like, there's so much great stuff there, and uh, the work that you do is super, super appreciated. But the amount of work you do is probably under underappreciated because we probably just don't realize. Like non-technical people probably don't realize how much work you put into. Uh, the designs not just of the books themselves but the ships and everything so thank you to all of all of you absolutely thank you to all the fans who've created such amazing resources online the websites uh you know lee mentioned a couple of them earlier in the broadcast um it's all the all the wealth of material that we have out there now not just confined to books on the shelf right it's all online now like people are scanning stuff in and making new stuff and putting stuff available and it's just a, a powerful warehouse of material that we can we can drop into the books one way or another. I mean, you know, legally, of course, all that stuff. But I uh, just thank you to all those. And, and then finally, of course, I never say it enough, but uh, thank you to all the fans of this game because uh, without you, we wouldn't be doing all this cool stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, look That's forward right. to more, more in the coming months and years. So thanks, everybody. It's never been better for Star Trek, I say. So, so everyone, IDIC, <laughs> until next time. Yep, live long and prosper. Be safe, be well. Take care, everybody. 